Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster, a monster exploration podcast where we take a look at monsters from their folkloric origins to their current pop culture incarnations. Good evening. Welcome to my brutalist, uh, Aztec-inspired, architecturally sound home. My name is Matthew, and I'm joined, as always, by a man with a golden AK who hopefully doesn't have to use it. Dave, how you doing, Dave? Uh, I'm doing real good. I got the invitation you sent me. (laughs) Great. You got my Evite. Oh wait, I'm back. I'm, I'm wait. I'm. I didn't get the invitation. I'm. I'm the. Oh yeah, you work guy. for me. I work for you. <laughs> and always on my retainer, he uh, goes by Doctor Faust in some places, but here he's known as our friend Leonard. Leonard, how you doing? I'm good. I refuse to be Eric Andre. Not that I have a problem with Eric Andre. I just refuse <laughs> to be Eric. Thank you. Oh, I thought much. I thought you were put in the place of the doctor. <laughs> the doctor yeah. And, and the... yeah, you've got the mug full of joints. Uh, yeah. You're everyone's friend. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Good. Good, good, good. Yeah. Um, Are you smooth, clean, or uh... <laughs> what the other one was? Yes, softer, brighter, or softer. cleaner. We'll yeah. get to those terms when those come up, because I really enjoyed the use of that. Um, yeah, so tonight we are looking at the two final installments of the Cabinet of Curiosities, uh, the episodes titled The Viewing and The Murmuring. The fact that the second one's not called The Murmuration kind of bugs me, but we'll get there. The Murmuring. But we're going to start with The Viewing here. This one was probably, I don't I keep saying that <laughs> each one is more star-studded than the last, but this one really felt like... This is where I, I knew almost the entire cast uh, as they were being introduced, which was pretty cool, especially since Peter Weller himself is in it. Robocop is in this one. So I knew Peter Weller and then knew nobody else. I was like, oh, I don't really? know who any of these people are. Because yeah. they're all like uh, indie comedians and stuff. So it's, Probably yeah. why I don't know who they are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's good stuff, man. Steve Agee is great. And uh, I like Eric Andre a lot. So, um... Yeah, uh, we opened, it's uh, 1979, uh, September 22nd, and this entire, it opens with this synth soundtrack. This entire episode has this driving synth soundtrack that is just, it's funny because you listen to synth music now, and they're like, oh, this is what the 80s and the 70s sounded like and stuff, and it really didn't then. If you listen to synth music from then, it was not as like dark and gritty i don't know it's very hard to describe but uh this synth music actually is to uh to a purpose we uh open up on a speed demon someone is just i think this is a nice little corvette this person is driving uh flying up a parking garage uh parks like way too fast gets out and it is uh one of our first protagonists this is charlotte in this car she is played by Charlene Yee. Uh, she is a like young astrophysicist. We learn this all later. Uh, but waiting in this parking garage are three other people. Steve Agee, who is uh, Guy Landon, a famous novelist. Randall Roth, played by Eric Andre, who is a musician. 
and uh, who is this last guy? He has such a great name. His name is Targ Reinhard, played by Michael Thoreau. And they have been talking with each other, and they all found out they were on late night radio at some point. Which, with the synth soundtrack and them saying they were on late night radio, I was like, oh man, are we getting like an Art Bell slash George Norrie story? Because that would be amazing. <laughs> and no, <laughs> unfortunately, no. It's more of like, a, what was that old NPR show, like Music from the Depths of Space or something? You guys ever heard that one? No. It's no, on at like 1 a.m. on yeah. NPR. I know, right? This is this is what you get when you have an insomniac child who only has a radio in his bedroom. Uh, you listen to really late night NPR uh, synthesizer uh, programming. <laughs> um, but uh, that got like, Real vibes from that. And then all of a sudden, the coolest van on Earth pulls up. Uh, there's uh, a fella with a, a shag haircut and a handlebar mustache named Hector uh, sitting inside and tells them all to hop in with a big smile uh, the way that uh, a stranger would. And you should never get in those vans. Uh, we all we all know about that. Um, Let's see here. Uh, they are in the van, and um, this is when uh, the beginning of the theme of this kind of crops up, and I didn't notice it at first until the second kind of uh, go-through on this. Um, when Steve Agee, uh, who I'll, I'll try to use their character names, uh, Guy Landon, um, he asks for a cigarette from Hector. Um, Hector lights two, gives him one, and uh, he seems to really enjoy this cigarette as they are asked to sit and listen to synth music as they are brought to wherever it is they're going. No one knows where they're going. Hector won't give them the information. They don't know who their mysterious benefactor is. They don't know who they're going, what they're going to be seeing. They just know it's of prestige of some sort. We don't really know why all these people are picked um, to go to this place. And... Uh, we end up at this place called the Sandpiper House, which do we ever get to see? I don't think we ever get to see it like fully from the exterior. No, just the garage area and yeah. the path driveway. Yeah, yeah. which is this path. monolithic like concrete structure. Uh, it's very intimidating. The lighting is crazy. And um the first shot of them in the Sandpiper house is them walking through this. It's a long, the shots in this are like, like is Kubrickian the word? Uh, yeah. They are like long, like shots of like long hallways where things take slow racks, you know, as, as they move towards the camera, the camera is just dead still um, as like just an, a very full score plays over it. Um, I really, really like the filmography and or not filmography, the uh, cinematography. Cinematography, man. So, did, <laughs> have you watched Panos Cosmatos' other films? I have not. I am very interested in them now, though. So you well, Mandy's hit or miss. Um, but oh, I love Mandy. So I have seen. So I have. So yeah, that's, I, that's I, Mandy. Um, I love you, Mandy. You directed that. Yeah. All right. But there we go. Watch Beyond the Black Rainbow because that's this. Okay. But. A yeah. whole like two hour long movie. I definitely would. This 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 is my jam. I I like this stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's this minus like take the lens flare down maybe seventy percent, but it's still 
kind of there. Mm -hmm. There's still like that vibe. And then the music is holy. Like this is his steez. He does this for his soundtracks. This is his oeuvre. All right. That's good to know, man. Yeah. I I didn't like look up a lot about the production and the director. I probably should have done that a little bit more, but um, I wanted to just go at this as it was presented to me. And uh, yeah, this is great. So yeah, the fact that there is a Mandy connection here, that's just obvious now. Um, but <laughs> the, yeah. well, the the music, the the diegetic music that mm-hmm. they're playing, it, it is like part and parcel of what's going on in Beyond the Black Rainbow. That particular film is about um, the. It's kind of set in the same time period. It's like late seventies, early eighties. That I think it's still ambiguous, but it is about the um, use of hallucinogenics in opening up the mind's eye. So it's like the flower power blending into eighties kind of counterculture cults, mm-hmm. like new age cults that were springing up. So it's it's bonkers it's like this but (laughs) more um even more like one location and three cast members all right yeah and then it's just this this soundtrack like it's almost the same soundtrack it's similar that's amazing all right i've got it written down i'm going to watch this um great uh and as they're walking in here um i noted uh uh hector is telling them about stargazer lilies um these lilies that have been hybridized to flower upwards instead of downwards uh uh, a huge metaphor in this not only for like opening yourself to the cosmos or whatever but a huge metaphor for hybridization uh the successful blending of things to open yourself up to the stars which is like when this whole thing was over i was like that's why they talked about those stargazer lilies so much because that is a is a nice circle that they make all the way back to those um there's a lot of circles in this there are a lot of circles in this one um and we get to uh my next favorite circle is the conversation pit but we'll get there in a minute um as they're walking in uh peter weller gets introduced uh by a dude who looks like uh like he's like john c Lilly meets david carradine like he's very like there's a dude from this era that looks like this and they just nailed it uh absolutely um uh and he is being given lsd uh by I think he introduces Doctor Zara, right? Um, I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. Uh, well, she's just like attending to him, right? Uh, and that is Sophia Benoit, right? Uh, Butella, Sophia Butella. Um, and she asks him if he wants it softer, brighter, or cleaner. Um, which are ways to feel a high. Um, and also audio and video terms. Uh, which. There's less video in this, but I guess audio is more appropriate because audio is like this the driving thing in this softer, brighter, cleaner. Like you know, I have those are dials on my bass amp. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think it's very interesting that um, there's just like that little correlation there, and he wants to be surprised 
uh, as our guests are being led into this amazing freaking conversation pit where the majority of this episode is going to take place. Um, it's in this room that reminds me, I don't know, there's a lot of a lot of different influences in here. But did you guys ever watch uh, Legion when that was on? Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, there were like, like how everything in Legion was, I think it was hexagonal or octagonal. Mm -hmm. Uh, and all the geometry kind of blended together to be this sort of harsh angles that blended into circles. Um, that is that this room just gives you that feeling. Everything, you know, like like the beams on the ceiling are, they all have ninety degree angles on them, but they bleed together into this one sort of central organ thing that provides light for this huge rotating table. Um. Um, yeah, it's, uh, this is where uh, everybody gets served their, their drinks. Um, everyone gets served a drink that is, uh, tailor-made for them. They all know, uh, uh, this, their mysterious benefactor knows exactly what they long, want, uh, right down to, uh, Eric Andre's character, Randall, uh, the type of tea he drinks and the type of Tibetan mentholated cigarettes that he smokes. Um, and uh, this is our second look at uh, one of the major themes of this, uh, this piece and its addiction. Um, Randall is the only one who has been kind of putting things away. Everybody else gets a... Other than the astrophysicist, she gets ginger ale, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, but her her uh, her addiction is is something else. She's the thrill seeker. Uh, she's the one who was shown speeding in a car at the beginning recklessly, and uh, is shown doing the same later on. Um, uh, something that she never has to wrestle with as much as Randall has to wrestle with, because obviously he has stopped smoking. Uh, he's drinking tea now. Everyone else has alcohol other than Charlotte. And uh, he seems to really struggle with everything that's being given to him uh, right away. Uh, and this is when um, uh, Lionel, uh, Peter Weller, comes out, introduces himself by this long story about a bottle of Japanese whiskey that survived bombings of World War II and an earthquake, and like goes on to talk about, you know, the prestige of this bottle. And uh, there's an amazing sequence uh, where uh, Dr. Zara is pouring um, these uh, tumblers of whiskey as the table is moving in perfect sync with the music that stops at each person perfectly. She's pouring at the exact time. Uh, and uh, Randall's the only one who doesn't drink right away. Um, we see... I just want to call him by his his actual name, uh, Guy Landon, uh, just knocks this thing out of the park, um, just kills it in one shot. Um, Targ, Reinhardt, uh, can barely handle the whiskey, and, uh, Charlotte is just kind of sipping on it. Um, it, it is starting to show, uh, these individual character personalities. Um, something I didn't catch on in the beginning was how important um, how rigid or how flexible each person was and how that 
sort of bled into their eventual fates. Um, Guy Landon's a guy who is someone who once his mind is made up, his mind is made up and he will do the thing. And he is extremely inflexible in what he does. Uh, Targ, the psychic, um, kind of is like very flexible. He gives into peer pressure very easily and tries things that he doesn't want to, but does anyway and tries to open up. But he's maybe a little too flexible. Um, he, he folds extremely easily. And eventually Randall drinks. Um, after a lot of cajoling from Lionel. Um, do you guys have anything to... I feel like I'm talking a lot here. If you guys have anything to say about this this, this section here. Uh, about, about this character scene. So, how they're introduced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's giving you an insight into how each of them operate how they think what they're dealing with because um lionel ostensibly invited them here uh because each of them is like a master of their craft and he wants their opinion and or help in whatever his goal is yeah that's why he got them here but also each of them is like currently dealing with an issue where they they're they're at or past their prime and that's something where uh targ is i don't think he's a charlatan but it's it's towing that line mm-hmm. where he's He's so, um, yes, so so flexible, so bendy and with the wind that uh, he, I think he lost credibility. Yeah, he's a John C. In... Lilly type, yeah, who like pushed it oh, a little too what, far. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Landon? Guy Landon? Uh, yes. Landon? Uh, yeah. Landon doesn't like him. No. And Landon himself uh is out kind of out of the writing game like he's trying to come up with his next like big novel uh and we get the same thing with um uh Randall Randall yes Randall yeah. is he's hit a snag and he's not digging his current work like it's just not doing what he wants which is i think why he has um kind of gone cold turkey he's laid off of a lot of various substance abuses or uses and that's probably affecting his ability to create like if he if he had done a lot of his music while he was under multiple influences and then now he's like well i need to be dry to work out what i'm doing again Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm not. I'm now no longer like loose enough to do the thing I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of situation. Um, and then we have Charlotte, where she's she's in a position um, to be at like the forefront of science as an astrophysicist, uh, but is unsure of herself. 
and in that regard i think her paper isn't even published yet yeah and she's like i'm just it's in the rough draft like i'm still in the rough draft phases working this um but her potential is there Mm -hmm. uh but i don't i think that she's barreling ahead in like other regards versus like the thing she's probably supposed to be doing yeah so she went the other way as opposed to Randall. Like they're like they're doing two two sides of kind of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Like she was probably not as reckless and then is working on everything. And then now she's like, I, maybe she's hit a roadblock or something and can't work on the thing. So now she's just trying to challenge herself in some other way to like kickstart it. Yeah. Is my read on just like, you know, we're not we're not given that information, but I just that's the feel I get from her conversation with Lionel. Yeah. I because mean, that's, he's that's, digging that's into everybody. Read. He's like, he's heaping praises upon them, but at the same time, kind of picking at them. It's all backhanded. Yeah, yes. for sure. Yeah. Uh, it, I, he like, they all established that they were on late night radio, which is a place that usually people in their prime or credible people don't end up. Um, like, uh, Oh man, I keep forgetting Steve Ag's character's name. Uh, Guy Landon, he's a pulp novelist, but Lionel refers to him as one of the greatest novelists of our time. You know, like a lot of people love Stephen King. I don't think yeah. a lot of people would call Stephen King the greatest novelist of our time. Uh, he's doing a lot of ego stroking because he wants yeah specific reactions out of them. Yeah, and Randall's a musician, but specifically a studio musician. He's not the talent. He is not the person who has the name on the song that comes out on the radio. He's just the guy who composed it. You know, it's like the guy who arranges like Beyonce's tracks or something. You never know that guy's name. Yeah. So it, it they're never like the, all these people are almost kind of like successful, but in like the way that you don't want to be. It, it they're, they they all feel very has been-y. Um, yeah. Or they've a, settled yes but like they didn't make it and then now they're like well i'm i'm here now and this right. is what i do and it sucks except for like once again uh, well not once again well yes once again uh unlike charlotte who yes is is focusing on things other than um you, you know her actual career the thing that she seems to be uh really very capable and competent of which is shown later on in the episode uh like she's just getting started like she like everyone else feels like a has been except for her and it so uh (laughs) i i like a lot of things that are happening in this episode but the thing that kind of drives me insane about it is um it feels like a rich asshole got a bunch of has-beens together to stroke their egos because he wants them to do something for him and is like stroking stroking their egos giving them back, but also giving them backhanded compliments and like providing empty platitudes it, it's it's very bizarre like i and so, i don't and i don't <laughs> think that it's bad i i just have a problem with each of the characters except for like Randall and Charlotte. Mm-hmm. The whole setup, this isn't um, not to say that this is a, a 
a redo or an updated thing. This is um, running off of the framework of House on Haunted Hill, like the yes. original one. Mm-hmm. It's this. It's roughly the same setup. There's the same kind of super rich, brutalist architecture, uh, reclusive, rich guy who's also a jerk. And then it's a bunch of strangers gathered together that don't, I mean, they don't know each other really. Um, And they're there for some unknown purpose at behest of like the main rich guy. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they're kind of just stumbling along to his tune. Yeah. And uh, the stumbling gets a little bit easier, uh, especially after the LSD lace cocaine comes out. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and it just turns in like there's just so much cocaine. It's like it's like you're watching heavy metal. Uh that one <laughs> I forget what they called it in the heavy metal movie or those two aliens that just did a ton of cocaine. But oh, it right. just it, it felt like that. Like Peter Weller like does an eight ball by himself. It's nuts. Um and uh everybody just kind of falls into it. Um uh it it feels like uh, Lionel wants everyone's minds to be open to, you know, you can't tell if he's showing off because he's rich and he could has access to these drugs that are lab graded and, you know, it's the best weed and the best cocaine you could ever have. <laughs> I love when the joint comes to him and he's like, I don't touch that hippie shit. I fucking love that. Because um, it's just like he's he's already over his own thing. You know, he just. It, even. What is it except he says? Except for the cocaine. Except for the cocaine. <laughs> and the what, what, what is it? What does he say about the the one thing? Like he's building a house in Ecuador by the same architect, and he was looking for uh, Randall to be his musician for that one and this and that. And uh, he says, um, uh, "There is no accounting for taste." So it means that just it, money is not a thing to him, and as long as he's enjoying it, he will do it. And as soon as he's not, it's over. No, no, he's bored. He's bored. He's bored. And Randall, like, he's put, done put, everything you could probably hedonistically do. Yeah, exactly. And Randall puts a pin in it uh, when he says, when he's describing, uh, like, where he is in his process. And he says, there's a void in me I can't fill. And if you've ever, like, been around addicts in your life or things like that, um, that is a thing that gets said. Uh, it is like, there is like this itch you can't scratch anymore and you always know it's there and it will always be there. Uh, but uh, you, you need, you know, you need to learn to make peace with that. And that, I think that that comes up in a, a big, bad way later on, especially with Randall um, who once he is uh, off the wagon, he's off the wagon for good. But yeah, exactly. Like, like Lionel's a hedonist who cannot get enough. Uh, and and he has this this thing to show off. Um, they uh, they do a lot of coke. Uh, the music changes a lot. Uh, Lionel has uh, like an eight track shuffling system uh, with this like uh, no labels. Battlestar <laughs> Galactica ass yeah thing that he knows which light to push, um, which can also play what a fool believes for some reason. I don't I don't know what's going on with this thing. Um, but he like the plays, laugh like, track is the worst. The laugh track was bad. It's, um, I mean, it, the cheering it was works, good. Yeah, but it's just like, like, 
What a douchebag. It was <laughs> so <laughs> cutting. It was so cutting. Yeah. Um Yeah, so they have just, you know, it's 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 a really weird, tense time at first. And yeah, Lionel has gathered all these people together, and you figure out that, you know, two of them are in the humanities, one plays music, one writes, and two of them are in the sciences. Uh uh Trag, he's got a uh Trag or Trog? Targ. Jesus. Targ. Targ man uh targ is uh like actually running a study on psychics and uh our astrophysicist is uh writing a paper on panspermia which is uh the theory that uh life on earth was seeded by the cosmos something landed in a comet and that seeded life on earth which means that similar life could have been seeded elsewhere um uh panspermia at the time uh that this came out uh, like, as in, like, when this is set uh, in the 70s, or late 70s, anyway. Yeah, 79. Um, was kind of laughed at then. Um, yeah, like, which there's... is probably why she's on a late-night radio show. Exactly. Right. She's she's just as hokey as the rest of them. It's like, what are you doing? Now, it's kind of people have been taking it a little bit more seriously. Um, but, again, who knows? There's not been proof either way. No, just that we're finding or we're able to get samples and find microbes on things. Yeah. Yeah. Um but uh after this uh cocaine party goes on for a while and uh Randall's having a great time with that huge like it's like a uh what are those like those urns that you keep cremains in? That's how much cocaine they've got. Um yeah. <laughs> I just it's just so funny how much cocaine is there. Uh uh, they get uh, invited to the the chamber. Oh, and for a second, we see two artifacts on the wall. One comes back. Uh, one <laughs> is a gold-plated AK-47 um, that is Hector's story to tell. And we pan over to Hector, who's been getting further and further away every time we see him for some reason. Uh, and he looks at the gun, and he just starts crying. And I'm it's just like, one tear. It's so good. Oh, oh, it's yeah. so good. Like, I, I want to just hang out with Hector. He's He reminds me of, like, Brock Sampson. Like, you know yeah, he's, he's, he's flashing like back to something like a chill awful. dude. Like, yeah. this dude, he, he lucked into a good gig. He seems like a solid guy. He's trying to, he tries to do his best. Right. And uh, I, I really think the reason for this tier is uh, that gun is there because he wanted the best gun to take care of whatever happens in the next room. He asked Lionel, he's like, if you want me to be your bodyguard and you don't know what's going to happen, I need the best gun you can get me. And Lionel, of course, being a hedonistic idiot, gets him a gold-plated AK and puts it on the wall. And Hector knows when he stares at that gun that someday he may have to shoot his boss. I feel like also he may have murdered a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, you have to look at... um, So... The the other thing is um Dr. Zara was the oh, right. yeah. attendant we, to um uh, Omar Gaddafi. Yes. Yeah. And so they ask about that and it's like that's the most I mean it's nineteen seventy nine and mm-hmm. they're just like, So what's the deal? How you know, uh how how is he? <laughs> she just goes off on like Well Yeah, yeah, he's um like probably worse than you heard. Mm-hmm. Which is and it's terrible. <laughs> which is it's strange. I've heard uh, two stories about Gaddafi. 
um you know there is the western story of him being this you know a warlord who like just murdered everything in sight ruled with an iron fist and then i've heard stories from people who say that he was actually a very good force uh at the time and it was because of western influencing and meddling that he had to become that person and that eventually just went nuts. I don't know if you guys remember all the news stories about Gaddafi towards the end of his life about like the high end fashion that he wore and just, he just really went off the deep end and did some crazy stuff. Um, Yeah. It's that was just in the, at the edge of like probably me being aware (laughs) of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was just old enough. Apparently towards at the beginning of his political, careers uh you know again accounts differ all over the place um he was kind of like a man of the people thing but that's how all dictators start out so hard to say not being there myself but yeah so her flashback is definitely like yeah i've seen so much death and i have dodged so many bullets so yeah between her and hector um they probably have seen some some terrible terrible things and have been collected by this collector, Lionel, who collects yeah. people. It's like Just he's like... not collecting Hector for no reason. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, honestly, I when with the single tear, I was like, "Oh, you used to be like a, you used to be like a drug kingpin. You used to like run an organization." <laughs> that, that's what I was thinking. Some, I was like, "He's just down in like Colombia or something." Right. And oh man, I thought like. Fortunate son was playing in his head as like the chopper was leaving Nam or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like... something this, something went down with this dude, mm-hmm. um, and he has like the best shirt. Yeah, yep, it's a great it. shirt, so good. Um, oh, the anyway. other reason, the other yeah. reason why I actually thought that about Hector was uh, because he is so far removed from everything that's going on in the conversation pit. Like he is. He's he's seen it and he's done with it and he's just there to like protect his boss. Not engaged, not like Doctor Zara. Uh, he's just like like actually like I I've put this old life behind me <laughs> and this is what I do now. Well, he takes mm-hmm. his job like extremely seriously, right? Yeah, yeah. Good, a good employee. Employee of the month. Good job, Hector. <laughs> um, we get another one of these wonderful, like, long hallway Kubrick-style shots um, as they go into obelisk chamber here. Um, and uh, they are... Um, does this thing rise out of the ground, or it's, it's right there in front of them? I can't remember how this thing is revealed. but I think something raises up. It's Yeah. Uh, it's it's like, revealed. In it's revealed. Fashion. Oh yeah, it's in a column of light. It's um, uh, it's an asteroid, but it also like definitely looks organic. It's symmetrical, and that's it's, never a good sign. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, <laughs> pattern recognition is why we as a species have been able to do so much. And uh, recognizing a threat of something from space being symmetrical <laughs> would have been a good instinct here. Um, uh, immediately, Charlotte's like, hey, have you done this? Have you x-rayed it? Have you put it in a Faraday cage? Have you done this? Have you done that? And Lionel's like, yeah, we we did everything. We already did all the science to it. 
um, I brought you guys here because, well, the two scientists that he brought, one of them is the versed in panspermia, so maybe she has insights onto uh, an asteroid that brings life. And the other one is uh, ostensibly a psychic researcher, so maybe he could reach out. And then the humanities are there to maybe, you know, contact it, talk to it, understand its language, do some arrival shit. Who knows? Um, but uh, the importantly, the room to this, uh, the door to this room locks, and it's like, like a vault door. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, I heard somebody. Oh, I there. was, I was, I was just going to say. So uh, you mentioned that you didn't think that Targ was a, a fraud, um, and his question to Lionel, which is, "Have you had any psychics like examine it?" And Lionel's like, yeah, that's why you're here. I'm like, mm, sounds a little fraudy to me, my mm-hmm. dude. <laughs> it's never really, like, laid out that, So until, he, he's, yeah. Yeah. I was like, he's riffing on, um, I don't know, I just blanked out, um, Uri Geller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, exactly. he literally was exactly. called a yes, spoon-bending guy. That's the, that's the archetype. Yeah, because even yeah. Uh, yeah, Steve Agee's character, who I'm not going to remember his name, it's like the 10th time, Guy Landon, uh, <laughs> yeah, says, don't you have sp- uh, some spoons to bend? Yeah, he says that to him. Yeah, so I I think that Targ is the real deal, and Lionel was like, I've... You know, I I track down the one dude that probably is legit, mm-hmm. because everyone else is like you, you. You're not being taken seriously, but that doesn't mean you what you have is not real. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. We get some great Eric Andre comedy here, where he lights up a cigarette. Uh. Finals <laughs> like, hey man, no smoking the obelisk room. He's like, yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. And puts it out, and then like a minute later, lights up a joint, and he goes, hey, I said no smoke, and he goes, you didn't say Jays. <laughs> it's not a a cigarette it's not a cigarette man chill out yeah and so randall's like off off the wagon entirely uh he's like you know got wild cocaine eyes um he's trying to come down uh with either a cigarette or a joint um it's uh it's not good um everyone's kind of you know looking around at this at this comment thing, Charlotte's making a lot of observations about it. Um, and uh, then um, we, uh, uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah. After the J gets lit, um, some smoke goes into this, uh, into the comet. It gets like sucked in. It yeah. gets sucked <laughs> right in. Event. So obviously this thing's been breathing. If it just gets sucked in or or what, I don't know. But uh, the way I choose to interpret this scene is everybody else had their consciousness opened by, uh, you know, smoking and drinking and doing coke. And uh, they opened the consciousness of this dormant creature uh, by just hotboxing it. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I, go I, ahead. Man. I will say that, like, given the very end shot of 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 this episode, and this is you know this is just my read i think this thing was just literally activated like awoken by smoke in general Mm -hmm. (laughs) because there's there's something very prominent about the end shot of this 
<laughs> and and this creature's like abilities that I'm just like, oh, it it was literally like, oh, it was just smoke. And like things are gonna get real bad for everyone now based on that ending shot. Right. Cause what better way to know that a planet is civilized than its pollution? <laughs> that that is good. I like that connection. That's really good. Yeah. Um so uh the rock breaks. Uh Randall's very sorry he broke his rock. Um <laughs> there is this like uh uh orange gooey duck looking alien inside there that has these two like tendril horns that start growing out of it um and uh it's just sort of like this horrifying scene of this gelatinous thing taking shape um we got a wonderful so it wouldn't cut- be that bad but you're being sonically bombarded by like this yeah wine yeah is it sonic or psychic? I I'm not. Well, it's sure. psychic, but I mean, we're yeah. the viewer is getting the blast of like yeah. audio, which is for such an audio heavy episode where all the music is like super important and stuff. When this screeching starts happen, it 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 really 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 like is obvious and uh, made more so than when it cuts out to Hector uh, listening to what a fool believes. Uh, on the wonderful eight track system, sitting in the conversation pit by himself, um, he only got to play after a couple like like a line. I know it sucks. No, it didn't even get to it. Didn't even get to the lyrics. It was just the opening instrumental. It really was, yeah. And then uh, cuts back into the obelisk chamber, um, where uh, the first person to try to reach out uh, is um, Targ. Uh, the psychic who makes too much of a connection. Uh, he becomes too fluid, uh, is too flexible, and just melts. Just his whole face melts. Uh, he gets uh, he gets raided. He gets he gets raided. Yeah, everybody gets different horror movie head explode melt type in this. It's really good. He gets yep. raided. Steve Ag uh gets scanners pretty yep. good because he is again like the rigid character. He is. Once he has decided on something, it is a rigid thought. And because of that inflexibility, instead of melting, he explodes. He just shatters. Yeah. After um, he screams, it's probing, probing me. me. It's probing me. Yeah. It, it's looking for something it can connect with. Um, uh, Zara walks up and just sticks her hand into the thing. Um, but I think that her... Uh, it, it's hard to tell like where on this i mean it's more on the face she's into sensation like yeah she's into sensation that's just her vibe yeah like everything she does is very calculated very slow Mm -hmm. but she's like she's not grinning but she's like excited all the time even when she's just being kind of quiet yeah but uh, this thing decides it is not. She is not compatible. Uh, there's there's something that is broken in her, and it just melts her down. Um, Randall and Charlotte are like freaking out and pounding on the door. Uh, Lionel is uh, knocked over on the ground. Um, uh, they get the door open at this point, I believe, and. Um, uh, Randall and Charlotte run out while Lionel is being overtaken 
uh, by this orange goo monster. Um, uh, he like has every opportunity to get up and go. He is not injured. He is not. Uh, well, he's not very like. He's pretty That's... infirm. Yeah, like, I don't spry. think he can. You know, motor around very well. Yeah, and he but, probably um, broke something when he fell. There is no chase. There is nothing. It just envelops him and covers his face and uh, hybridizes. Um, it sort of uses his body as its transport and creates this just wonderful practical monster. This thing is so cool. Uh, it like stretches out his fingers super long. It adds like all these layers of skin and these tentacles coming out of his shoulder blades. His lips are drawn back, so it's got like nemesis lips and teeth. Uh, it's it, no I, eyelids. It's it's no, like no eyelids. Yeah, yeah. No nose. It's, no external like sticking out. The only thing sticking out are the two horns that went from its head to its like shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which like you can't tell if they're horns or tentacles or there's some sort of weird pseudopod. They're cool thing with yeah, right. They're gross. It's gross looking. Yeah, um, uh, Charlotte and Randall are trying to get the hell out of there, but Randall can't like quit the cocaine. He's like trying to grab all the drugs he can to leave. He's trying to grab the whole the urn. Yeah, <laughs> because like again, he just he's off. Like this is about like you can't you cannot quit your obsession. Uh, everything here is obsessed. Everything needs to to have the thing that fills the void, uh, including this this creature. Um, Hector realizes uh, this is the time that he needs to use that gun. Uh, and unfortunately, um, <laughs> the golden gun does not do what it does in the 007 video game. And uh, <laughs> Hector gets got pretty good. Um, yeah, he gets electroshocked. He gets electroshocked, which Electro- is like... Electro-melted? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of the, I think they're called corals in the Final Fantasy games. They're the cats that have, like, tentacles that shoot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he gets done by one of that. Um, Charlotte and uh, Randall uh, get in a car and do some initial D driving out of there uh, with the nice trailing taillights. I don't know if that is just a stylistic choice or if that's to symbolize that uh, the the acid or... LSD it's it's stylistic. Um, so yeah. uh, everything in the entire film, like if if there's a light source, mm-hmm. it's lens flaring, like perpetually. Yeah. And like the probably the best example is when they first, uh, um, Randall uses the lighter, and when mm-hmm. the flame yeah, comes that's up, right. it like you know it's launching out like flare, like lens flares. Yeah, um, and that is a thing that happens when you're on acid like lights lights stay for too long yeah they have that kind of halo but i mean the whole the, the movie's been doing that from like the get-go it doesn't yeah from not the have that yeah and um they just get away and that's kind of it they're just like now what and randall's got you know a face full of coke and blood and charlotte's got a bloody nose and they're just they've gotten away and uh we cut back to this monster that has now uh he he goes outside and then he goes into a sewer grate and then well, just so he kinda... sees himself in a retaining pond first and then like that's it gets upset gets upset right because he's still in there yeah he's like, still he, Lionel he just yeah. has like a outer body that's moving him like a puppet yeah 
Um, and then he goes through uh, a sewer system and ends up out. And is this is this supposed to be the L.A. River he walks out on? I think so. Yeah, I'm I'm going to guess yes Yeah, <laughs> on that one. <laughs> yeah. Anytime you see one of those big concrete canals, I'm like, this, this is the L.A. River, right? Um, and yeah, and then you see it kind of zooms out. He's affecting the power everywhere. Uh, it's kind of flickering in and out. Uh, this huge smog-filled city, uh, which again, I guess if the smoke is a is a thing, um, then this is the place to be. Uh, there are literally like five smokestacks spewing yeah, 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 yeah. into the atmosphere, and it's like the haziest, grossest, like '90s, like LA set '90s. It, like it's falling down without all of the red filter. <laughs> The orange filter. Yeah. The shithole filter on everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm yeah, just like, yes. So I was just like, oh, it's like, this is bad. This is actually really, really bad because I think that this thing just literally feeds and powers itself off of pollution. Yeah. Well, if you think like uh, the last time a comet that, if it was a panspermia comet, landed. It would have been during like the comet's winter, where the sky was choked black with smoke mm-hmm. and whatever, and that gave rise to us. Maybe this is just the next thing that has landed and will be the new dominant species. Um, yeah, but uh, that is the viewing. Um, on uh, yeah, like I said, on on second viewing for me, it was uh. It, it it revealed a lot more to me in the characters and in the story it was telling about I don't know, there there was a lot of themes. Um but the theme of like being uh, an obsessive or uh being an addict uh for, for whatever reason um was just pretty dense in this one and I don't know, I like this one a lot. Yeah, this one's a lot of fun. And I and I think again, if um some some like themes, but definitely the cinematography and the um soundtrack, if that's your thing, watch Beyond the Black Rainbow. Like that it, it's it's that like distilled. Like mm-hmm. it's his first film and it's it's perfect. Yeah. In 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 trans like uh, transmitting like these kind of things, and it's also um, it's anti uh, kind of anti boomer generation. Like it, it's it's taking a very like negative look at um, not not the new age phenomenon in particular, but what was promised to people, and mm-hmm. like what that actually what happens when you get a solution to something or what you think is a solution and you just, you go all in on it, but it's actually a bad thing. Like the thing that you're doing is, is ruining other people at, at like at their, it's at everyone else's expense and it's profiting you. Mm-hmm. It's um, yeah, there's, there's some at, body horror going on. It's a lot man. of weird stuff, <laughs> but yeah, definitely not- like it, it works with this. Like, watch those two, and you go, okay, yeah, so you can see what he's doing with this. All right. I, I am on board. Fantastic. Um, and as for me, uh, like I said, I think I've already voiced, I, I, once again, this this episode for me is 
a lot about vibe, definitely the cinematography, art direction. Um, the I love the, the ending. It's pretty wild. Um, and, but like, for me personally, it, it, my issue is, is, is like I stated, it just feels like a rich asshole <laughs> invited mm-hmm. a bunch of like <laughs> past slightly past their prime people to like get something out of them for his pleasure, which is like the entertaining aspect of it and hopefully figure out what this this meteorite is. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but um it's uh it, it like my read on it is is completely different uh from from um the one that you presented, but I do actually really appreciate um having this like alternate view of oh yeah, maybe it isn't like just navel gazy nonsense and that there's there's actually some like depth to it. And I also think that maybe it's deliberately framed um framed and told the way that it is for people to interpret in different ways because I don't think it's that wild for me to uh my interpretation is that much wilder than than yours Matt. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think I liked about a lot of episodes in this mini series was nothing uh, not a lot of them had like neat bows at the end. Mhm. Um, like, uh, I love when something is open for interpretation because then you get to have these conversations afterwards where you're like, how did you interpret this? How did you see this? How did you see this? And, and you get to kind of like, uh, art, art shouldn't be solved ever. Like, (laughs) that's not a, that's not a thing people should ever try to do. That's, you know, that's like the cinema sensing of the world, which is awful. Um, but it should be interpreted because art is ultimately how it is viewed. And so, yeah, I totally agree with you, Leonard. Like, you know, uh, it is up for interpretation. And I think that's I think that's the best part of this. Yes. Yeah. And uh, moving on to uh, something else that is, I guess, a little more straightforward. There is interpreting to be done here. Uh, but uh, our second feature uh, is the murmuring. And uh, Leonard, you're taking this one. Have at yes, uh, yes. The murmuring is set in 1951 with Nan, uh, Nancy and Edgar uh, Bradley, uh, two ornithologists uh, who start study bird murmurations, which is uh, what is that? That's the act of birds flocking together in uh, patterns in the sky. Uh, um, and no. Um, it's kind of, uh it it's it's the air equivalent of when you see schools of fish <laughs> tiny fish yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's kind of the same thing yeah um uh so they are presenting uh their latest findings at Cambridge University they uh everybody loves it there is talk of their recently deceased daughter Ava which Nancy hasn't Processed fully, yeah. I was gonna say fully processed. Yeah, I don't think mm-hmm. she's processed it much at all. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 fair. But hey, work has to go on. Uh, they uh, go to a remote country home to continue their studies, get away from you know 
the world and hopefully resolve their grief. And uh, Nancy begins hearing weird things on her reel-to-reel tape player. Also, I just want to... Quick caveat, uh, once again, this this one is, this episode is gorgeous, and its set design is immaculate, and so oh, yeah. is, like, everything with its period, uh, like, aesthetic, uh, love, love that, uh, 1950s look, and I love it when set directors and, uh, crews, uh, really, um, go hard on making it look period accurate. Especially the audio-visual equipment that they're using. Uh, Like, I don't know how many of these are actually restored antiques, or if the props department is just amazing. But um, especially those Motorola uh, 6-volt battery uh, radio systems that they use. Just gorgeous. Gorgeous things. Yeah. The yeah the 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 radios and that reel-to-reel tape player, because as a man Mm -hmm. who, who... also owns a not nearly as nice reel-to-reel tape player. I appreciate a good reel-to-reel tape player. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, um, so, uh, Nancy uh, begins hearing uh, uh, weird things on their on her reel-to-reel uh, with the murmurations of, I can, does anyone remember what specific type of bird? Not that it matters. Oh, it's a type of waiter. Yeah, um, little guy. It is called a. Give me one second. A Dunlin. There we um, go. I thought they were plovers at first, which is a different kind of bird that has cute little long legs. But no, they're waiter birds. Um, and uh, yeah. Uh, they're 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 cute little guys. Yeah. They are. They're adorable. Uh, they uh, take up a roost in the home that has been prepared for them. It has uh, stood empty for years. Uh, mother and son used to live there until something happened, um, which is the mother uh, unfortunately drowned her child uh, and uh, as you as as I've established with weird sounds and ghostly visions, uh, this is just a very classic ghost story. Uh, but it is kind of um, tied together with this meditation on Nancy and Egger's grief over the loss of uh, their child. Uh, once again, Nancy hasn't processed it. Egger has to some extent but has found her lack of process uh difficult uh she doesn't want to be intimate uh with him because that that obviously makes sense um and it just actually feels like this vacation away this trip to get away from it all and hopefully resolves it resolve what's what's going on between the two of them is is the worst idea because Edgar has also paired it with her work um as mm-hmm. nancy uh yeah that, oh, that's go on, the Dave. larger issue is well part of the larger issue, not the, not the whole thing but edgar yeah he's he's dealing with his grief but his way to do that was throw himself into his work and he expected mm-hmm. that his wife would do the same but then still like ha- have used that to process it and she didn't right well his work gets recognized 
you know, it, it's shown at the beginning that she was the one who was like responsible for, you know, the beginnings of their studies at Cornell and all this other stuff. And all the guys just wanted to talk to him and right. not to her about it. And yeah, so, like, or they talk to her, but it's like in not um, indirect. Like she's just yeah. set dressing and mm-hmm. not a, a scientist. Yeah. So if you throw yourself uh, into your work and you reap rewards and your colleagues acknowledge you and whatever, maybe you can find some solace there. Like, oh, I'm actually being productive and doing some good. But um, yeah, yeah, she can't find. No, that. I mean, she calls him out on that. She's like, yeah, I'm, she does. I'm I'm frustrated because I work two, three times as hard as any any of those other like stuffed suits. Mm-hmm. Um, that Glad around deal with her god, yeah, and I get nothing mm-hmm. and you got a fancy camera like, i mean I, that's I, not they don't they don't care about the camera but the, the, yeah that whole point of her just not being acknowledged and he's not really helping with that because he's just like what's the problem we got all this cool stuff yeah like we're doing work and they're giving us things they're like they're giving oh, you things work and i'm just here along for the ride Mm-hmm. Although I I will I will say this about and and it it is shown that he does it like it's not a very powerful attempt but he does actually tell all the men that are grouped around him after their presentation that they should be giving her a lot more like all of the mm-hmm. credit for it like yeah. he he's well, he acknowledges aware. Her. yeah he acknowledges yeah. her genius yeah yeah but. He's not really like that's like the least you could do to help out, right? Yes, yes, no. it is. But and it's it, academia, it, it, so it's all a bunch of bullshit anyway. So right, yeah. <laughs> that's not making it easier. <laughs> yeah, and it's 1951, so there yep. we go. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Nancy's starting to experience a uh, uh, audio visual hallucination. She hears a little boy crying. She hears the screaming of a woman. Um, Edgar is not taking any of this well. She starts investigating the um, the belongings of of the um, uh, woman and child who once lived in the house and discovers that uh, her. I believe it was Claudette. Uh, was um actually like uh involved with a married man who had gone away to the war and said that when he came back he would be with her. However, uh, he then reneged on that and went back to his wife. And uh, Claudette, being um unwed and pregnant, was uh shuffled off to this sad, lonely island. Uh where uh she was forced to raise her child alone um and desperately wanted uh, the freedom uh, to do as she pleased which was something which is something that Nancy always says when uh, asked why she is fascinated with with birds and and their their murmurings um and uh, it, Nancy and Edgar have multiple fights over the course of this because there's a lot of strain and pressure on their marriage, on their work. Uh, and of course, with the haunting going on, we uh, it eventually comes to a head when uh, Nancy 
uh, fully encounters of the ghost boy who believes that his mother is angry at him and uh, Nancy helps him pass on uh, and then witnesses Claudette uh, uh, realize uh, because Claudette during this entire time has appeared uh, screaming, what have you done? Uh, but that wasn't in relation to her son. It was in uh, relation to uh, the murder. Uh, throw herself out of the uh, top. There barn doors. What did I? Or French doors yeah. on French the top? Doors, it, it's a uh, uh, it's a New England thing. They're up in Nova Scotia. Um, there are things called widow's walks, mm. where I think I think this one has fallen off. Um, but it's a very very small porch at the top of your oh, okay. house where you would go out and you would wait for ships to return which hopefully oh. carried your husband home with them. They always face the sea. Um, this has been remodeled or whatever, and the walk has been removed, but the French doors are still there. They call them widow's walks because women would be standing out there waiting for their husband to come back from the sea, and they may never be coming back. So, right. Um, yeah. Um, but that, uh, that is a New England thing. Um <laughs> Yeah, because I was like, I, I was, I yeah, because it's 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 similar to a balcony, uh, and I was like, that's very bizarre that there are French doors there, but there's nothing. Mm-hmm. But though, given the state of the house, that's not surprising that it may have been removed or have fallen into disrepair at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, needless to say, uh, 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 well, not needless to say, Nancy witnesses Claudette kill herself, uh, and then is finally able to process the death of her daughter and and attempt to reconcile with her husband I think that yeah i was i was just doing a quick summary so we could you know talk about the individual points uh sure. afterwards yeah. well that's um, the thing this this story is it's like it is it is just that it is it is a very cut and dry straight in a line these things happen um unlike our last story which is just kind of everything's a weird single conversation <laughs> that bleeds everywhere um um so, i was a little upset that the uh the chekhov's gun of bird telepathy was never fired she says <laughs> bird telepathy at the beginning of this episode and i'm like oh man this is going to rule <laughs> this is going to be this is going to be like the birds they're going to be all like talking to each other and it's going to be great no that never happens <laughs> so i just want to get that right out of the way on front street that a bird <laughs> telepathy movie needs to be made i was all set up expecting this to be like bird box and i was pleasantly surprised it wasn't like bird mm-hmm. box <laughs> yeah yeah uh i like the evp uh, that's kind of a fun, like, real-life ghost hunter thing that they threw in this for some reason. Um, ha- having the I, audio of ghosts and stuff. Yeah, I don't like that it it captured on the reel, she listened to it a bunch, and then it doesn't appear when Edgar's listening to it. Mm-hmm. I think I don't like that. Because then it, it feeds into him just, like, gaslighting her, saying, oh, you haven't slept for a year. And, and she, granted, she is sleep-deprived. She's just yeah. nodding off in the middle of her day. Well, there's a, there's just... a whole dang ghost boy in her room. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like, I mean, she, but it's been before this. Mm-hmm. She just doesn't. She has trouble sleeping. 
And yeah. then she gets further upset because he just like passes out and is just snoring and that's not helping. Um, because she's still, she's still in this relationship. She still wants that what they had before, um, but is is stuck because she's not, you know, fully processing what happened. And she's even like when there's noises or something weirds going on, she'll like, I'll just check it out myself. But she also does like, Hey, come, come with me. <laughs> like this is mm-hmm. spooky. Um, but then when he is all the way asleep or something, she's just like, forget it. I'll just go do it myself. Yeah. Must yeah. Be nice this... to just be able to fall asleep like that. It, yeah. It'd be great. <laughs> uh, there's a certain point in this, in this, uh, installment that i was just like i'm done with the jump scares in this i feel like they kind of started detracting from the story that they were trying to tell um because it happens a lot like the first ones are great yeah. the, the the clattering the little pitter patter of ghost baby feet all over the house like that stuff very good very creepy very evocative uh the slamming on the door when she's taking a bath very good i like that a lot but like, I think at one point she's upstairs watching the birds and the doors blast open or something. And I was just like, okay, all right, I get it. There's ghosts. We, we've established the ghosts make noise. Well, and she keeps seeing the boy, but it's like, generally it's an outline, like a partial, excuse me, mm-hmm. partial outline of him, like by the doorway or crossing, like just his shadow crossing the, um, in the hallway. And it, it, yeah, it does that like too many times. Yeah. Until finally, oh, you get like the others where it's like, oh, here's your you see your baby and then now there's a a little boy arm on your arm where it should not be. And th- some of the stuff is a little bit too it's her processing things, starting to like understand what she p- needs to do for herself. And then a little bit like did that happen is she just having because then it makes her unreliable as far as the narration goes even though she's like the generally the pov character Mm -hmm. so i think i didn't like that that she's she could be seeing things and it's like i i'd rather there just actually be ghosts even if they're a metaphor Right, which means that the if if it was real ghosts, they're bringing back the ghost of her baby just to say hi to her, which that's a move. Well, um, I think that see, so that's the tough part because I think some of it is her and some of it is the house, right? Because she needs the she doesn't need the house is providing that kind of lens with which for her to recontextualize what happened. It's a group therapy house. Everybody's going to yeah. go through the traumas together. Yes. It's okay. You can come out of the... You don't have to be cold. You can come out into the light. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to sit and... and. It's a whole case of, like, blaming yourself. Like, that's what mm-hmm. this is. It's her blaming herself, her blaming her husband, the boy blaming himself because he thinks he did something bad that his mother was upset with him, and then the mother up, upset with herself the ghost mother blaming herself, but not able to like get that across to her child. Who's also there because ghost time. They don't, I don't think they fully get to interact with each other. Yeah. Or else this misunderstanding would have been cleared up. 
They're 30 years ago. I know, right? Jeez. Uh, when he, like, runs out to the light and whatever and instantly just gets raptured right away, I was like, whoa, that was really easy. Yeah, I thought it was something <laughs> bad because as I soon know. as that happened, the ghost mom was like, what have you done? You freed the d- demon. You know, I, that's yeah. what I was going with. I was like, Pazuzu oh, no, that's is a bad out. thing. Like, wait, no. No, that was good. It's just mm-hmm. everyone's not on the same page. And that that lack of communication on like kind of everybody's part is is mm-hmm. what needs to be resolved. Yeah. Also. Like there's a it, lot of there's a lot of issues that everyone has here. You know, it's not just it's not just the getting over grief. It's like a whole ball of all of it. Like there's social things there's stuff with their marriage there's their their own interpersonal things there's them helping each other at their job that's it's a lot of stuff this is not like a light subject at all what was um, the uh del toro movie with the with the ghost boy who had the bag on his head uh, uh that, that was, was only no no, no i'm yes. sorry um not orphanage no, it was the yeah, orphanage. It was but, the orphanage. Well, so, so the orphanage is, is Del Toro. He just presented. He just like Pro- produced it. Produced it. Yeah. <laughs> he did okay. um, the um, Devil's Backbone. Is okay. All, kind of like this also. Yeah, I'm thinking more of the orphanage. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a ghost story where the ghosts are like they're scary, but they're not malevolent. Like no one gets yeah. hurt. Yeah, uh, same thing least, with Devil's Backbone. I think in the orphanage it was like someone almost gets hurt, but it's not on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the ghosts are just like physically damaged. Mm-hmm. Like, like they represent what they were when they died. So it's just right, t- which seems spooky. really boring as as a ghost. Like, I'm always drippy. I'm always cold. I can only say I'm cold. I'm just, cold. Yeah. I mean, man. I mean, would you call the gone. waiting room in Beetlejuice <laughs> boring? Matt? Yeah, yeah, I that's would. The same, that that's the same rules. Yeah, you want to be the flat sure. guy on the laundry line forever? Uh, I don't think we survived that bus crash, coach. <laughs> like, just be a dumb football player for the rest of my life. Sure. <laughs> I mean, we we all know why Beetlejuice left there. You had to. No one wants to be stuck in uh, at the DMV for ever. Yeah, for eternity. A quick aside before we move away from from this bit, though. I I, given how Beetlejuice looks, um, what happened to him? Thank you very much. It's a blow dryer accident. He has (laughs) lacerations around his neck, but it looks like he was also electrocuted. Yeah, so I'm thinking either the chair. Or he was like hung, or multiple s- like something. <laughs> they just couldn't like, get rid of this guy. Got, so they he just... got Rasputin, and they just I like did everything to, say, to him. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say he got Rasputin. Yeah, I think he either got the electric chair or he was hung, but he was definitely executed. <laughs> um. So I re. Uh, I know that you two are a little colder on this episode. I like this one because it's just a very classic-ass ghost story. But I also really kind of appreciate this um, really kind of honest rumination about, like, like I like the performance of of, of both uh, Essie Davis and Andrew Lincoln uh, as this couple because it, it feels real it feels like 
like like if you divorce this from like the supernatural this would just be a real bummer sad character piece and i kind of appreciate the combination of like very classic maybe a little too classic ghost story with this like character study of of this couple that does still clearly love one another trying to manage this this trauma of losing a child yeah it i mean as a character it's great it's they everyone does their job very well like these performances are like outstanding um they're selling it yeah wholesale like perfectly um well one of the rough parts was when there's, there's so many of them uh was when um her husband edgar is it edgar yes yeah. yeah he's like okay something's going on i'm i'm gonna you know i'll, I'll sleep in here on the couch i'll give it give us both some space um unless you don't want me to like and then she's just like staring at him yeah mm-hmm. And he's just withering, like, uh, okay, I didn't, I mean, I guess, okay, yeah, I guess I'll be on the couch. And then she tries to, she, in the morning, she hears him get up, and she's like, oh, I need to go talk to him. Like, she's, she understands, like, they both understand what they need to do, is, like, sit down and talk about this. Yeah, no one's irrational. Here. Yeah, no, I mean, they're, Which, they're both smart, and he, yeah. he, he acknowledges that. Like, he's not, mm-hmm. he's not... The only thing is when he's like, hey, I know you haven't been sleeping, um, so maybe you're just seeing things. Like, don't do that. <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, you're you're being logical, but not when someone's like very insistent on, no, we've been here for days and I, I'm, something's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I wouldn't be saying that, like, if I wasn't serious. Yeah. You know, and, the only and you time tell he... me to you tell me to work, but if I'm if things are that off, like how would I be doing my work then? Right. You know, the only time he really gets actually looped in on the paranormal whatever is, I think like the second night or something like that, or is it the first night when the tape player turns on on its own yeah. and is like blaring static, because uh, there's like the ghost nearby and it makes all that noise when the ghost is nearby. And I thought that, oh, he's going to be able to see more of this the more he sees tape and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I think it's his, like, it, it's a story about how both of them are in denial. Oh, uh, yeah. She, no, he's he's messed he, up, too. He's, yeah. <laughs> he's messed up, too. But he's also denying seeing the things that she is seeing. So maybe it's, well, it's yeah, more. He's yeah, he's holding so tightly on to his work and his science and everything mm-hmm. else and he's just not receptive to it at all yeah whereas she kind of came into this like more raw with her emotion and and just just when they enter the house and uh, like masterful having that horrendously red door yes because <laughs> all, all, all i'm thinking of is stupid um six cents Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, she goes up the stairs and sees like the photos, and she's already like something this weird, because the uh, the the realtor or the dude that the landlord, the caretaker, yeah, yeah, he's like, 
there was a lot of stuff here and it's just it's just me so i couldn't get everything out so i kind of just stuck some stuff up in the attic just kind of left some things around so you know don't don't, don't worry about that just like do what you got to do there's plenty of room mm-hmm. um Which it uh i i'm just thinking the red door comment you just made um just uh reminded me of something that's another new england thing um it's uh it's kind of like a colonial version of the evil eye mm-hmm. uh it's supposed to keep uh the devil out if you paint your door red i think it comes from actually the uh um uh what is what is the jewish tradition of the lamb's blood on your door um passover that, that's passover yeah, yeah. that's passover yeah um which that's coming up um yeah so yeah which is ironic because they're in they can't get out <laughs> so maybe the red door is uh holding them in yeah that that is pretty interesting um it just stands out in every shot and they keep looking back at the house and I, I kept thinking, oh, there's something in the window or, you know, they'll see something, but they don't except for the birds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, I, again, I wish these birds played a larger part in this. They, thought... they do in that they're like keeping the spirits company because they're not yeah. they, like they, they make a whole point of going um, these the little dude, whatever the 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 dowslings the little birds um oh, like the they Dun- don't dunlins yeah dunlins, dunlins yeah. like they don't roost except above like shrub or uh, below shrub height mm-hmm. like they there is no recorded occurrence of them being in like a a, in a, a building mm-hmm. and this is like second floor roof like they're 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 roosting on um like busted slats in the roof and the attic is kind of where the boy has kept himself and right. because that's where the mother jumped off the landing they're playing the role that a crow would usually play yeah to to, to fairy like, the spirit yeah spirit fairies and <clears> at <throat> the end like when she finally is like i'm ready to talk and i'm letting these feelings go she gets like baptized by the murmuration and it kind of goes all over her and maybe takes her grief with them or takes her whatever takes the spirit of her child home yeah just her acceptance of like what happened yeah there's like there's, to, there's to, symbolism to, yeah there there i mean the whole it's it's built into it because i mean they found the little um cross stitch mm-hmm. with yep. uh, the the mother like She's not releasing the little birdies, but she's like being no. carried away by them. Mm-hmm. Like she wants to go with them rather. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I simply interpreted it as like, she will never actually be able to lift off the ground and fly like she wants to, but this is the closest that she she'll ever get. And yeah, she's, and well, she enough. lives here with these birds or she's vicariously watching them yeah wheel oh yeah i i i was i yeah you're talking about claudette but i'm i'm specifically talking about nancy at the end when she has her little bird baptism like that is oh, her. Yeah, yeah well because it, it happened like back to back right mm-hmm. yeah yeah no it's not a it's not a bad movie i just thought as a cap like a capstone to 
this whole cabinet. Mm-hmm. I I don't think it's the strongest one. However, it has a stronger like message. The other ones aren't like I don't know. This may be more important of a message. Mm-hmm. Definitely more tangible of a message. Yeah. There's less untangling you have to do with this one than you do with any. No, this is this is really straightforward. You don't have to mm. like you're not digging around for this one. It's it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like yeah. the viewing, you you're you're viewing the thing and it's like, well, this is open to some interpretation yeah. because again, it's, also- it's it's not as not really a character study, but you have to study the characters. Like you yeah. have to see what's <laughs> yes. going on to um to you know you have to review it. Yeah, and then you got to decide who's viewing who at the end. Yeah. Yeah, pretty good. Um, I'm sad that Cameron isn't here because I wanted to ask you guys, um, not ranking of all of them because that would be crazy, but uh, what out of this series, now that we're done with it, uh, what your favorite uh, installment was? Oh, I ha- absolutely uh, I'll have a, a top and a bottom, uh, and it is uh, top is, <laughs> is the autopsy. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, bottom is dreams of the witch in the witch house. <laughs> <laughs> well, Leonard, we are kindred spirits, uh, cause that is my, that is my exact answer. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just really, autopsy was great. I just, I don't know, uh, just the character work in it was wonderful. The set design was wonderful. Uh, just like the malevolence and loathing of the, of the antagonist was really good. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, it's just a really good creature story and like a good story of friendship and and like the fragility of human life just, yes all that was great and then uh rupert grint throwing himself over pews uh that's just the oh. dumbest shit i've seen in a while so yeah. <laughs> uh yeah uh dave how about you man oh this is tougher so i didn't even wasn't even able to watch autopsy or um the outside mm-hmm. uh, i read the the book though and which was really good <laughs> for the autopsy mm-hmm. and i you know I'll, i will eventually watch it because just uh, you, you should that's yeah it's a, it's no i a mean good it's one, it, man. it yeah. just the story was like yeah this is great and just from hearing that yeah this is a faithful mm-hmm. adaptation of it or it really was like a one-to-one like you'd probably be hard-pressed to have a better adaptation of source material mm-hmm. um hmm. that aside uh man i I think I really dig like I, thinking back on it um lot 36 mm-hmm. <laughs> uh I like that a lot yeah with, with no pun intended um it's it's a smarmy character it has it's maybe a, maybe a little long in the tooth like I don't know that it needed to be as long as it was even though that's one of the shorter ones because everything eventually became like an hour long yeah I think that was like 45 minutes or so. Um, it had fun, like occult leanings. I wanted maybe more of the back half of the film, but uh, it, it didn't really do jump scares. It had uh, fairly good pacing. You you love to like have a, a protagonist slash antagonist that you like disagree with but understand like you get what he's why he's doing what he's doing mm-hmm. but you don't have to like him and yeah. so it still feels like oh a terrible person gets like a fate that's fitting to like how they've been 
living their life. Um, but the it, it's top tier as far as like the creature it was just really good design. Like I yeah, loved that. That was wonderful. Like I think that just knocked it out of the park. That's probably so far without seeing the alien thing in autopsy. Um, my favorite monster in this. Um, and that and that's maybe I can't say I have a least favorite episode because the ones that I would put there are ones that really didn't have a kind of weren't a creature feature. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think as a whole series, it's this was a, a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot to chew on, and it's such a nice variety. Um, yeah. they kind of came in pairs for the most part of of as far as like theming is concerned uh and i really like that it it still feels really curated um uh, but also giving space to like a variety of directors and styles so you mm-hmm. get a real good like cross section of a bunch of different um older or up and coming like directors. Yeah. Yeah. There are some horror anthologies you watch that are, it's like the same kind of thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, uh, what is that? I, I'm, I'm blanking on titles and I, I apologize, but there was one that was Halloween themed. Uh, there was like a little boy with a pumpkin head. Oh, um, there was like no, a no, trick little Riding treat. Hood werewolf. Yeah, yeah trick, or tr- trick or treat. Yeah, uh, that was a horror anthology that I was like, after like watching all of them, I was like, those are all just kind of samey. I mean, the the werewolf one stuck out, I think. That but was good. the rest. Yeah, that one was good. But uh, the rest of them were just kind of like, ah, you know, take or leave. It's all right. It's yeah. But, but this, like, you were right. Like, it's it's disparate. Um, there are many different types of horror. Uh you know from like the weird like internal cerebral uh like like the outside or like an actual creature horror like um uh, lot 36 or yeah the unknowable horror and just it, it's all it's all great um I, that's that's probably why i liked the series so much was every time you sat down you got something new and from a new perspective and a new it just all felt fresh. Every single one of them felt very fresh. And I like that a lot. To be perfectly honest, I could, I like, I would be, I wouldn't want it to turn into, like, a series, but I would be totally okay if, like, this year and next year there were, like, was a new season, like, eight-run season, or eight-episode yeah. run season of this with just different stories, different directors. Like, don't, like, stretch it out forever, but, like, I would like to have this experience again of, like, anticipating, like, what new story I'm going to be told, like, in pairs again around Halloween. Mm -hmm. I think that would work. Uh, it's, it's, It's not something that hasn't cropped up before. Um, I'm wary of it being... Because it's Netflix <laughs> and you yeah. can't bank on anything that was like, oh, this is doing really well and then just disappears or gets canceled. Yep. Um, but on that note, like they did really well with uh, several seasons of Masters of Horror. They weren't all winners, but they were still fun. And it was a bunch of just different directors. 
like just getting a chance to like strut their stuff or just have fun with the genre. Yeah. Um, you get the same with the VHS series, which is, I think it's on the fourth, not really a season, but the fourth like set of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and those sometimes they, they, a few of those bring back some of the same directors. Uh, but I, I do enjoy anthologies that are like bookended with a, um, like a framing narrative. And then, there's little stories like loosely connected, if at all, like running through the middle of it, which is what VHS does. And which that's kind of what trick or treat did too, where there's a framing story of the, yeah. um, the little Jack lantern kid, little pumpkin head boy. Yeah. yeah. It, it's Sam Hame. Yeah. <laughs> like actually Sam. <laughs> it is. It is the real. So Yeah. Um, yeah, this was a lot of fun. I, I I enjoyed these. I what I wish was that there was more uh, accessible or even extant like source material to kind of compare between like the movies we got and then what they were based off of. Like I, I wish I had access to like the whatever the little novella that um, Guillermo del Toro had written for lot 36 and the murmuring like the murmuring in particular that one like i want to mm-hmm. see like what it there's no way that I don't, I don't feel like it's a one-to-one like whatever he had written probably didn't go exactly to the screen yeah that's another thing that netflix lacks uh the, the bummer with streaming services is you don't get special features as often as you would if you bought it on dvd or whatever yeah um, right. i know if you search it out you can find models of like all the puppets they use and all these things or all the masks or uh stuff like that but i, I think more behind the scenes stuff or like yeah more access to the literature or more access yeah. to i mean if you're lucky they'll do stuff. like a special i think they did that with um Haunting of Hill House or one of the ones that they ran like the little 45 minute thing. Mm-hmm. That was just a behind, separate behind the scenes, like interviews and stuff. Yeah. Like, that's what I would like to see is interviews with these directors. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Cause like you, ha- everyone had to have had fun doing this. You can tell. It's, I mean, it's, like, it's the, all on the screen. The cast, it looks like they're having a blast. Yeah. It's right. all on the screen. It, it looks like everybody's having a great time. And, and just the, the art direction is just, phenomenal for something like this usually when you watch a horror anthology you're like okay here we go here come some wobbly cardboard sets yeah but, no uh, i mean they, yeah, no. they threw like the dollar bills at this mm-hmm. like, it looks nice yeah everything's oh screen. i great. i did want to ask has anyone watched the uh black and white uh version of uh graveyard rats no i saw that right before we were about to record um yeah did you watch that was was it i did markedly different uh it it just it's i mean it's the same episode it's just in black and white although i do there is one little touch that i i really appreciate which is that all the gold is still gold (laughs) oh that's great (laughs) a nice color pop effect that's that's wonderful it's it's fun when they I think they were doing or not I think they did stuff like that with like Sin City and a few other um mm-hmm. quote monochromatic things they weren't necessarily black and white or they were just mm-hmm. like sepia toned yeah and then that's always fun it's like oh the one red thing or something right especially with grave, graveyard rats like to underline how Masan just like only saw gold and it just led him to his just deep dark doom uh was I think that's that's a great touch. 
Yeah, man, just don't don't go digging. <laughs> no. Yeah. The moral of almost all of these things is pretty much everybody's don't undoing is there. yeah. Don't go there. Yeah. That's a ghost boy. Don't don't touch that. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't don't do drugs, kids. Yeah. Exactly. It doesn't matter how cool and blue your cocaine is. It's still probably Yeah, don't idea. don't and don't get into the weird van. Yeah. Don't go to the creepy house. <laughs> Don't get in a van with a guy named Hector. It's probably just solid life advice for for everyone. I I do love that the um the the driving racing music that pops mm-hmm. in it 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 plays and then when um the astrophysicist gets out of her car it stops like mm-hmm. stops when she cuts the engine but then comes back on when Hector starts up his yeah. van. It's the same music. <laughs> They're just like, listening to the same radio this station. Is what hap- yeah, this is what happens yeah. when you drive. It's this. Mm-hmm. And I, oh yeah, she she has um, driving gloves. Yeah, so good. Yeah, like, all, all cool I could think of gloves. was um, the driver. Mm-hmm. Or um, yep. not, 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 not the is it dr- driver. Driver, yeah. Drive, drive, drive. <laughs> baby driver. No, not baby driver. Drive with uh, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, not uh, A- Adam Ryan Gosling. Gosling. And, um, <laughs> Ryan Gosling, yes. <laughs> There's a lot of dudes, a lot of, a lot of blonde guys. He has a sporting yeah. jacket. That's all we care about. All right. And driving yeah. gloves. Well, as you guys know, I rely on my partner to point out the celebrities to me. It is it is okay. I, I, she, I she was like, that hey, that's, that's Walking Dead in this one. I'm like, really? That's him? Oh, all right. Cool. Okay. So that took me probably half of the, the, the murmuring before I was like, is that? Yeah, that is intricate. It, it's just he's older. I didn't see him in a while, and he has yeah. glasses on, and just he's not he's not saying coral, so it's really hard yeah. to tell that it's him. Um, and uh, just for because uh, uh, this isn't uh, Essie Davis, who is a, a, a favorite actress of mine, um, because she was in a a very uh neat um. TV series called uh, Miss F- uh, Fisher's Murder Mysteries, which I believe was an Australian production, where she played a, a strong, independent uh, female detective in the uh, 20s, uh, um, um, self-sufficient, self-reliant, um, and she is also the mother from The Babadook. Oh, how do you like oh, that? That's right. Duke, Duke, Duke. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, one last thing about uh, the uh, Cornell uh, association with ornithology and stuff. Um, before we even started the episode on the murmuring, kind of strangely, uh, my partner pulled up the Birdcast, um, which is the bird forecast that is put out by the Cornell Lab uh, every nightfall that tells you what birds are traveling through your area currently and their population numbers. Uh, because there's been, you know, it's springtime. There's a ton of migration here. We have lots of bird species out in our yard. Uh, so it's just been a fun thing to check. Uh, so as soon <laughs> as they were done checking that, we turn on this episode, and it's these two two people working for the Cornell Lab looking at <laughs> birds, and we're like, oh, wow, that's weird. <laughs> oh, the Birdcast is here. Yeah, Birdcast, it's live. That's great. So yeah, everybody should check out the Birdcast. It rules. All right, Matthew, send us home. All right. Yeah, this was great. Uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, uh, as we went through uh, all of these cabinet of curiosities, um, 
if you want to find us online, we are uh, at mon underscore d monster on Twitter and monsterdeer.monster on internet. Just plug that right into your browser uh, to find us there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the ugly machine. Um, and uh, where can the nice people find you on the internet, Dave? You can find me on Twitter at sentinut underscore plus. That will uh, be in the show notes as always, along with all of the other links. Uh, Cameron was unable to join us tonight. You can find him on Twitter, though, at night underscore twitten. And that's night without a K. And how about yourself, Leonard? Yes, you can find me on Twitter, uh, barely, uh, at Dr. Faust is dead. Uh, and you can find uh, my video essay work on YouTube uh, by searching for Dr. Faust is dead. And that'll do it for us tonight, folks. Um, we'll be seeing you next week with a new one. Stay safe out there. Watch out for birds. <laughs> Bye-bye, folks. Goodbye. Monster Dear Monster is brought to you by Fireheart Media. If you enjoyed the show, please share this and all of our episodes with friends. And remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. Word of mouth is the only way we grow. If you like, you can also kick us a few bucks to help us keep the lights on at ko-fi.com slash fireheartmedia. Check out our other show, Jalachan's Place, at www.jalachan.place.